From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. Well, the weekends, we sort of stretch out here on TNT. We're bringing in musical guests like Akira the Dawn we just heard and and just sort of artists. And there's going to be more music, more art, more, more culture. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of a, a area where we can build and play. So we're all very excited about. And my next guest is on the weekends with me. Jason Osborne is a former TV producer, political pundit, and the host of Weekends with Jason Osborne right here on TNT. Jason also hosts World Series News and is the founder of A Million Mums for Informed Consent, which protests against widespread COVID-19 vaccinations. He's here with us now. Jason, welcome to the show. How's it going? Oh, Jason Olborn, not Osborne. Sorry. You, you, you know what's funny about that, Joseph, is that uh, my entire life—that's uh, exactly how it's been Dude. pronounced. So it's—it's it's probably just how my name really is. You get you pick and choose, um, but it makes me feel like I'm part of you know the uh, Aussie Osborne family, one way or another. So that means I, I feel like I'm more part of the show now. Uh, but thank yeah. you for having me on today. <laughs> Sorry about that. Your your mind just goes right there when you see you know Oldborn. It's just you 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 you're blinded. The L you can't see the L when when Ozzy exists in this world. He's too he's too ever present, man. You That's you it. know it's That's so it. close to Osborne, but it's Oldborn. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, Jason. Um, and so. What do you think to TNT on the weekends? Are you excited to be a weekend pundit? What's your take on TNT on the weekends? You know what's great about being a weekend presenter is that you get the week off, but you don't mm. really get the week off, and that's um, that's the other part of it because what we do is we, um, because of the weekend programming now, the way that you explained it, how it's a lot more creative and and uh, and opens up a whole bunch of new avenues, it means that the the groundwork behind what we do to plan for it takes a fair bit of preparation one way or another because you're trying to put together uh, not just one hour a day or two hours a day, but it's a four-hour block. So you kind of want the programming to sort of play into each other or have various different themes. So there's a fair bit of groundwork behind it. But um, it's exciting too because I'm back onto an interview format that I haven't done for the last eight months being on the news during the week. Uh, and so it's very different. And uh, you 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 realise just how much you lose touch with people and what they're up to uh, in various different endeavours, uh, especially, you know, filmmakers that have uh, maybe a year ago were working on something that's now been released. You get to find out how that went or uh, an author working on something or, of course, just uh, mapping out perhaps doctors and how they've been working over the last three years and just how that's evolving in terms of the whole uh, virus, etc. and the progress of everything leading into 2024. I mean, what a time to be alive is my slogan and what a time to be alive it is joseph it's a wild time to be alive i, I just talked to gareth ike a couple hours ago he's the first guest on my show and uh he was saying that he thinks we were you know we chose this time that, that we we decided that we'll come down and scrap this one out i mean I like that because it puts the onus of responsibility on ourselves and we don't have to be like, why me? Poor me. I'm a victim. You know, we can be empowered in that. But what do you, what are your predictions for what's to come in 2024? Is there going to be aliens? I mean, escalating wars, economic collapse, the central 
bank digital currency, uh, you know, digital prison system being implemented. What do you think? What's 2024 got in store for us? All right. So if we go back to just following, uh, and I always think that elections are a good place to start. So we've got in Russia in March, there's the uh, presidential election and Putin will uh, obviously win there. In April and May, the Indian elections and Modi, the prime minister, is a hot favourite and he will win there. So the BRICS nations are going to be two from two in terms of returning their leaders. But then come October, you've got the Canadian election and you've got Pierre Poilier, 15 points ahead of Trudeau. And you'd be hard pressed to think that Trudeau could win anything at this stage. So we might see a change of government in Canada. The next month, of course, we've got probably the biggest election, not only of the century, but possibly the millennium, if you're following all of the rabbit hole news that is out there. And you tend to think that if Trump is returned, um, the man that uh, who they've been going after now for years, not just in his presidency, but before, uh, there has to be some form of retribution. And so who he selects as his attorney general is probably the most interesting uh, selection, even more so than a vice president, which is kind of meaningless because uh, anything could happen in that period. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the UK elections due by January of 25, and the Conservatives there are almost unelectable at this stage. So, uh, But no one likes the Labor Party in the UK. And then Coming up in uh, as, as late as May next year in Australia, we've got our next federal election and there's already talk that Anthony Albanese, the anemic Labor leader here, might be the next one-term prime minister in our country. So just based on um, on what we're seeing in, in, in the West versus the rest, the West looks like it could have a change of government in every single election, like we saw uh, late last year in New Zealand. So if we just look at that, there's got to be enough political change. What comes with that political change? Well, the first thing is that you're going to get once, let's say, Poiliev gets in in Canada and his common sense policies that he decides to bring in, such as um, uh, bringing more doctors in, uh, not restricting them like they are, working out ways that uh, that people can become more affordable in Canada uh, to, to buy a home, to get hold of land, to uh, make housing costs cheaper. Uh, and it's not going to be very hard before people realise that they've been played like fools by Trudeau and the globalists. So by the time Trump uh, comes, and that's a full month after the Canadian elections, before the US elections, and you have to think that Biden, even if he's breathing or whatever he's doing at that stage, has to be unelectable. And it's hard to believe that the uh, Democrats have snookered themselves and they're going to try and get this 82-year-old, um, decrepit old, you know, just, just to look at Biden, knowing what we know about Biden and his business dealings and his behaviour around um, around little girls. It's just horrific. Um, Hunter Biden doing his absolute best now to just destroy it for them. So you're wondering what comes next. And then there's this whole idea that maybe they'll throw in a, a last-minute candidate, whether it be, you know, Gavin Newsom in the um, unlivable California, and I'm sorry to Californians watching, but um, that's just what Californians tell me. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the Michelle Obama story. And I think that that campaign, if they were to bring Michelle Obama up, all you need to do is play one speech, and it's her praising Harvey Weinstein uh, and the cast of characters that she's been associated with, and kind of think, well, that would be the end of Michelle Obama. So I can't see uh, how the Democrats can really try and seriously uh, substitute anyone in at this stage. Uh, and and um, no one wants high interest rates. No one wants high inflation. No one wants to struggle to, uh, to just do the things that they normally would do and have the government blame them constantly for not taking medicine, uh, for you know uh, eating too much meat, uh, driving too far in their oil 
all cars. So when you just play all those basic things together, you know that massive change is, is on its way at, at a political level. And then, of course, when good things start happening, which won't be very hard to ready the ship, and I would expect Trump, the first thing he'll do will be in uh, Ukraine and uh, and, and uh, sorting out the war there. That'll be over in a day, as he says. Uh, let's see how that goes. Uh, and then you're left with the whole problem of Israel-Gaza uh, and how that gets resolved, if it can get resolved at that point. And what happens with the rebuild there? Will it be a 15-minute city and the United Nations standing up and patting themselves on the back and saying, look what we're going to do? Or will it be a completely different outcome? Will there be a two-state solution? Will there be a one-state solution? Will the Israelis uh, attempt to force prophecy and uh, try and build the third temple on the Temple Mount in Palestinian uh, district? That's another huge story that uh, that hasn't quite come out yet, but there is a lot of indication uh, in the sense of that the third temple is something that is really on the table. Will Netanyahu be able to stay in office? Will the Israeli people, for example, stand up against the Israeli government? And uh, and how does an Israeli who, um, for example, that may have moved to Israel that technically defines them as a Zionist, but uh, not part of any sort of Zionist conspiracy, so to speak, that uh, has its tentacles all around the world, which is... Um, probably where the Jeffrey Epstein operation uh, could be extended as far too. And therefore, we must also acknowledge that um, that collective punishment, whether it be against Palestinians or against um, Israeli people, or Jewish people around the world, at all levels is unacceptable. Uh, and that's something that we have to be able to get our uh, heads around, that collective punishment of anyone is just something that cannot happen. We saw it during the uh, pandemic uh, where we saw that anyone who resisted the uh, the official narrative that's now falling to pieces around the world was also collectively punished in a way that we've never seen before, that terms like informed consent were just thrown out the window. Uh, so have we got time for an alien invasion? Who knows? Uh, it's one of the subjects that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm busting to speak to uh, a number of academics uh, who, are, who have resisted um, academia and moved into their own spaces. People like Richard Dole and Michael Sala uh, are just two that come to mind. They've done enormous work and they're people that I'll reach out to in the, in the coming months. I'd love to be able to speak to people like Stephen Greer and find out what uh, what they're thinking at this time. You've got all the Peruvian stories in the background, um, evidence gathering uh, around their different um, you know, uh, bodies, species, mummified little tiny alien looking creatures that have been found. And of course, the mainstream media does its best to obfuscate anything. Um, and it makes you wonder, because whatever the mainstream media wants to tell you, you kind of got to look the exact opposite way, and that's your starting point. Uh, that, that's what I find fascinating with all of these stories, and I think that they're all somehow intertwined and linked in together. And uh, just as an example, yesterday I had um, Captain Dan Hanley and Captain Doug Green, two 9-11 um, uh, era pilots that are fighting for 9-11 truth, and I think it was Dan on his own uh, X or Twitter page, he said, JFK assassination. 9-11, COVID, all the same business model and all connected. And that's uh, that's the way I see it, that it's, it's all the same players all the time. So, wow, what a time and what a year it's going to be. This one is the big one because anything can happen as we move into this um, election cycle. Yeah, I, I agree that it's all related. It's all about subjugation and control and just different layers to implement that, you know. Mm -hmm. Um I found it fascinating what Tucker said about the aliens in terms of them being, I think, interdimensional. For some reason, you know, I was going to ignore the alien thing, like, oh, that's obviously going to be a false flag, and 
I, I thought it was ironic that so-called conspiracy theorists would be the ones not believing in aliens and so-called normies would be, believe in them. But when Tucker went on and on about how it, he was highly disturbed and found found it to be credible and new things that he wouldn't even tell his wife and sort of alluded to a spiritual dimension, just with everything playing out in our world, all, a lot of the things you just listed, there's just this obvious uh, fight uh, for good and evil, where evil seems to be revealing itself more and more. So for them, for it to then manifest into something from a demonic realm or aliens actually presenting themselves, somehow doesn't seem as far-fetched to me as things coming from another planet in a spaceship. What about you? Yeah, I, I also find it uh, fascinating that um, you, you have competing ideas that you have other intelligence beings uh, from other parts of the uh, universe. That would sound logical if you consider the, you know, the, the scientific narrative of you know, trillions of galaxies, trillions of uh, stars within those galaxies. Just the sheer odds means that we're not that special, that we would be the only ones. Whether or not um, any parties have the technology to be able to travel uh, in the physical realm that we see is one question. Whether there's other ways of travelling beyond the speed of light is another question. Uh, then you've got competing ideas of uh, religion that says that they're not aliens but demons. And my um, argument to that is that if, if God can create human beings here on planet Earth, why can't God create other intelligent life on other planets just the same? Why do we need to uh, be exclusive in that manner? Um, that, that's just one way I look at it. Uh, I interviewed Kathy O'Brien last weekend, and Kathy, uh, in her film, Transformation, talks specifically about overhearing um, people that she was um, sold to discussing uh, the alien story. And she mentioned um, two things, that some politicians said that they were humans from the future, and that would be referring to grey aliens, I, I would assume, um, because the grey aliens that we've seen in, in, in movies and been documented, etc., cetera, uh, have no real biological sex as such, no biological sex organs have a, a, a one much simpler internal set of organs there. Uh, and that would that would lend itself to the idea that they've been cloned as a form of reproduction. And the argument was that they were coming back to Earth to take our human DNA to be able to um, uh, uh, expand their species into a new direction because their DNA, for whatever reason, is wearing out. That's one argument there. So if that's the humans from the future argument, which is fascinating, the interdimensional argument, of course, the idea that someone can appear uh, perhaps not um, it, it, the way we see it, but in a different sort of light, like a 5D or something like that. There was a wonderful uh, video that Mr. Mythos put out called Ultra Terrestrials recently, where he talks about the idea of fairies that we consider in folklore, fairy tales literally, uh, that may also be a, such a type of an interdimensional figure. And the reason that he thought it was fascinating, he says that in the reports that were coming out that from, from people that were uh, being abducted, that there was always a connection between a ghost or an alien abduction at the same time. So the question was, what if they weren't necessarily coming from off planet, but were on planet in a different dimension? And that's when that whole can of worms opens up. So, and, and so it's it's a study that um, that warrants proper study, um, the, the esoteric, the unknown, nothing to be afraid of, but the opposite. And you know that if we're talking about it, and when you look into the MK Ultra programs that have now been confirmed, even here in Australia, our own uh, ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, 
Corporation, government-funded. I spoke to a, um, a journalist a couple of years ago who confirmed to me in a story that he published on the ABC that MKUltra existed here in Australia. It was one thing to say that it never existed, but then to have that confirmation was enormous. He, um, I spoke to him and he said, look, it was one psychologist, a very talented man, he said, called Martin Orne, and, uh, and then that was kind of the end of it. It didn't get off the ground. Well, unfortunately for this particular journalist, it did get off the ground here, and there are victims that uh, have come out, and I've spoken and interviewed them on TNT in the past, uh, and that's a big deal. So when I spoke to Cathy O'Brien, she, and watched her movie, uh, she confirmed virtually the same style of program there, which is just incredible that you can see so many common areas. Then she named the same people that came out of Germany post-war uh, that were sent to the US. And then some of those people, in fact, ended up in Australia to, um, to, to then teach people here in this country uh, under the radar of how to conduct these mind control uh, experiments, tortures, programs, etc. So again, this is another, another part of it. The question though, Joseph, is um, where and who trained these people in these occult methods that it ever was allowed to uh, begin in Nazi Germany? And of course, there's that whole backstory there with Hitler and the occult. So it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And in war, any advantage um, is taken because that's just how that game is played. That's the demonic aspect of it. I mean, you know, you hear rumors of satanic rituals and Hillary Clinton, allegedly, and, and things like that. And obviously it relates to the Epstein thing where it's evil that is so far beyond most people's grasp to even imagine uh, where you know, you can't really sort of deny the demonic realm. And then you realize, wow, these people are actually more spiritual than a lot of the so-called normies. And, and they don't really talk about it or play that stuff up because it's a demonic form of spirituality. But when you think about people relaying their DMT experiences where they all see the same, uh, you know, characters that come and visit and talk and, and just... You know, the fact that we only have five senses, the fact that life is as strange as it is. I like this aspect or this thing that resonates with me with the aliens, that if somehow they made a, an arrangement with our government to give technology to the government, then that means our devices themselves are the alien invasion, you know? And then when you look at the bitten apple on the back of an iPhone, you know, it relates to the Garden of Eden and the knowledge of good and evil. And then you think maybe we're, we've been abducted already because we're all lost in technology now. We're all sort of trapped by technology. And when you are talking about bringing in sort of greater implement, uh, implements of control, central bank digital currency and vaccine passports and stuff like that, then the screws of technology's control tighten. And if you think of technology being from another world or otherworldly or of another dimension, which kind of makes sense, I mean, because where did it come from? Did Steve Jobs really just figure everything out or is it de a deeper rabbit hole? But let me take a quick break and we'll be back with Jason Olborn, not Osborne, Olborn sounds similar, looks very similar at first glance. You got to do more than glance at it. But Jason Olborn is with us and we'll be right back 
after these words on TNT. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as it reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram who reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. The Lights is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk If you're talking about it... We're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It was a gab fest on that break between me and Jason here. We couldn't stop talking about this alien stuff. And Jason was just saying, and you know when you said uh, that they're more spiritual than us, and then we had to come back. So we're going to, that cliffhanger, I need a resolution to. So Jason, what were you about to say when I said they're more spiritual than us? The demonic, you know. Uh, so-called satanic rituals and all that. That means these guys are invested in the spirit realm far beyond anything we could have imagined. What were you about to say to that? Well, he was the, the, the what I worked out about that. So, so if, if I backtrack and, and I'm thinking somewhere in that 2016 period when uh, all, all this breaking stuff news came out uh, through the various forums that we started um, researching down the pathways. And of course, all, all pathways led to Epstein one way or another. But when you realise that uh, this is the greatest cover up in history, uh, and, and mainly because of the players involved and the fact that there is a blackmail operation behind it, and then you realise just some of these rituals that come up and you only have to look at the movie Eyes Wide Shut from Stanley Kubrick, just to give you an idea in real terms of perhaps a, a, an almost sanitized version of what we learnt. But if you think of the term adrenochrome, if you think of um, child sex slavery, if you watch the film Sound of Freedom, it's not hard to extrapolate that this thing goes on and people have some very dark, horrific um, uh, fetishes that they like to uh, either be, take part of or are somehow forced into one way or another. And when you realize that this is part of this perhaps a spiritual realm, then you realise that because it's so fantastic, so impossible to believe, but it works on a spiritual level, then you realise that atheism, that people choose to grow up in this world and realise that there, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing much to believe in as such, it's just a cruel, dark world, that atheism acts as the gatekeeper for the devil. So when I tuned in earlier to um, catch part of your show, I heard you quote something that I quote all the time, which is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing you that he didn't exist. And that's what atheism is. It's the gatekeeper of Satanism. And at that point, I realized that if these people believe in that, then God has to be real. Uh, and they, because they have better intel than us. And therefore, you make, you're forced to choose a side. 
And it's not hard to get on God's side when children are being harmed. And so that's how simple it is. And that's why I think that whichever way this story unfolds, that uh, we focus on these key stories, JFK, 9-11, Epstein, the origins of COVID, and that other great one, the mystery one that's got a place in there somewhere is MH370, the Malaysian Airlines aircraft that's gone missing that has never, ever been found. Put all that together. And uh, that's the the tying in of the reality to get to a point where people realise, hang on a second, uh, this guy might be right how did we get here uh, accidentally uh, by a spark um four billion years ago and the universe itself you know 13 billion years ago there might be a little bit more to that story uh because science doesn't really go before a big bang does it hey, atheism never made any rational sense to me whatsoever it just doesn't make sense on a rational level it's the belief that something came from nothing so yeah. you can be an atheist and god bless you if you are Oops maybe not. I don't know but like I'm not mad at you for being an atheist I don't think I'm better than you because you're an atheist I just don't think you're being rational because something can't come from nothing and existence certainly is something I don't know exactly what it is but it's definitely a whole lot of something and so it just doesn't make any sense that something would come from nothing but it's you know one thing that's undeniable about the world we've existed in over the last three going on four years is the elevation of everyone's consciousness and in the sort of big wake up and the deep price that waking up has cost humanity in general and it seems like 2024 is coming in with a bullet to extend that and it's a revelation of evil as you as you said i mean we're 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 witnessing people waking up to the reality of evil i think and i think epstein that the revelation of what that's all about and and if it goes mainstream and the normies can't sort of deny the fact that these practices are taking place um you know that's going to blow a lot of people's minds i mean what do you think do you think that i mean we're seeing impending economic collapse right there's obviously a great reset everything you just mentioned all all of them point to the same direction the great reset right the the sort of one world government the digital control mechanism um the idea that people will become so terrified and money will be so scarce that of course when the government comes and say hey don't worry we got you here's $5,000 a month for free. If you just do this uh, central bank digital currency, you can have all your Amazon products. I mean, most people will go for that. I mean, most people won't like heroically resist it and stay hungry. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think that people will wake up to evil to the degree that they'll be able to actually resist beyond the sort of 10% of us that always resist? Or do you think people will fall in line and the um, implements of control will take over humanity's soul? Yeah, I think the um, economic collapse leading to the introduction of a universal basic income has to be the way that this is going to be played. Because what will happen is that when you consider that society has been weakened uh, over a number of decades now, uh, our education standards have dropped, our health has dropped. This generation of children uh, are expected to live less 
than their parents, these types of statistics that uh, are mind-blowing when you think of it, that we've gone the other way. And so uh, we've been weakened consistently. Um, obviously, the treatment for the virus uh, was another way that we're now learning people have been weakened through their immune systems. We saw this week Deborah Burks talking to Chris Cuomo on News Nation, um, comparing long COVID to HIV suffering. Imagine that in the early days of HIV. Today, HIV is not a, not a real issue apart from perhaps the side effects from the PrEP and PEP drugs that uh, people... Uh, uh, take either to prevent or to live with, etc. Um, and and so it, it, people go on to live normal lives. So that's an interesting one there that the immune system is um, is is maintained. But the long COVID system, we're now seeing that that's uh, going by the wayside. Um, uh, so that's where the comparisons come from. Um, I find that also uh, devastating at the same time that we've been weakened to a point that we now realise that perhaps it was the agenda. And we say that with a perhaps because um, other people might think that we're crazy for just putting it out there. But it's obvious that, um, that the climate change agenda goes on top. Well, the fact that it goes immediately after the virus agenda um, says to us that uh, whichever way it is, both of them say that there's too many people uh, one way or another. It's spread because there's too many people. Uh, climate change is, is blamed on the humans for even though we know that the uh, evidence doesn't stack up to the claims, but that's very clear. Uh, the idea that you've got Ted Ross coming out this week telling so we need to eat more plant-based food because meat is uh, production is part of the reason why the world's heating up. Uh, meanwhile, there's you know ice in uh, Antarctica. There's frozen um, climates everywhere. People freezing around the world. Yet uh, we're told that it's heating up in summer in Australia, where it's always hot. Uh, it, it, these types of arguments are just self-fulfilling or self-licking ice creams, as my uh, friend Peter Richards. Um, when he comes on my show, likes to uh, use that term a lot, and they are. It's just it's self-fulfilling prophecies that these um, uh, world leader globalists uh, are trying to consistently um, peddle this idea. It's almost as if if you didn't know any better that they don't like us, uh, rather than they work for us. And the reason I say that, Joseph, is how long has it been before any government has come out and done something to build their nation that the nation gets together and celebrate? I ask that question here in Australia, we went back to the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000 as the last great thing that happened for Australians. Since then, it's just sort of been GFC and uh, various other things. Of course, September 11 before that, and uh, and, and and it's just been tough and, and uh, collapses and viruses and all sorts of things going on, and, and then climate change agendas and changes of government and a voice referendum that was based on um, on untruths. Uh, it, it just goes on and on. When has the Australian government done anything either party to um, to say, yeah, we're going to build our nation. And that might be the reason why people build their hopes up that something good's going to happen or something's going to repair itself. And then it just goes down the toilet uh, again and again. And no wonder um, people around the world are looking for change one way or another. But how it is, this, this so-called gentle wake-up call now makes a lot of sense that we were told years ago, it'll be a slow process. But one wonders how slow it has to be and why people are taking so long. But most people don't pay attention to news or news cycles. They might catch a glimpse or they hear something somewhere or they hear it on the radio on the way to work or someone mentions it at work, but not many people paying attention to the details. So when the news gets on and says there's a pandemic, take this medicine, most people just line up and want to get back to doing what they were doing. How many people did we hear about that justified taking an experimental medicine because they wanted to go and see a concert or go to the movies or go to a restaurant? I just find that um, as disturbing uh, as, as a sign of saying how little due diligence people will actually do even when it comes to their own health. The social pressure was so 
over the top though man it was nuts it, it, you know like you real almost can't fault a lot of people that took it early on i i certainly don't i was talking to these two guys in yoga the other day and uh, we were talking about the jab for some reason i was probably going on about how i didn't take it and they both took it and they were both like i'm never gonna take anything again and you know these guys never spoke up they're not speaking up to anyone but that's the general mood of people like maybe they're not paying attention to the news but they know they've been lied to i mean humanity is endlessly dupable but humanity's not that dumb and you know i think i think people's revolutionary spirit is waking up but you know they need to be led and they need to know that it's not useless and not hopeless i mean what you're saying about the climate thing too that's such such obvious hoax uh i mean it's 39 degrees in arizona in the mornings here now and this is arizona this is the hottest place on earth it's it's freezing here lately <laughs> it's like dude um you know but bringing it back to the presidential election if if there is is even one because there might be so much chaos that there won't be one but i'm wondering what your take is on vivek ramaswamy because lately um i like what he says a lot and he's coming out and i think he's like turning people on to like sort of fight back against the the woke agenda so to speak and he, and he's and he's calling things out for what they are are you a fan of his uh every, every time he speaks i'm interested because he just brings a whole lot of energy a breath of fresh air and in many ways he seems to be the obama that people were hoping for uh one way or another as a, a young upstart um beautifully spoken well presented energized uh and, and i find that that is is what a lot of people are looking out for uh, I don't know if he um, has got the ability to be able to knock over the Trump train as Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and some of the others that are staying in have got the ability to do. But one thing is that I noticed that Trump made some references and said that he's doing well um, and he'll eventually endorse me, uh, which says to me that there might be a place in a Trump administration for someone like uh, Ramaswamy to uh, to make a real splash. Who knows what uh area that would be uh maybe putting in the truth and honesty department uh and, and calling out the lies uh if there even should be such a, a situation but could you imagine uh the 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 administration that uh, that trump could bring back in a second term um with some of these um new people that have come forward and and people that um uh that wake up in the process and change their politics i mean you have to realize that uh, everyone at one point goes in believing that they can uh, make a difference in the establishment. You try and get into the establishment. Some get accepted, some get rejected, some work out on the way that uh, it, it's a corrupt system and choose not to. So when Ramaswamy comes out swinging the way that he does and calling people out almost fearlessly, um, in many ways, he, he looks like he, he's blessed one way or another, but he's there for a real purpose and uh, whatever he can do uh, to expose these secrets and to expose those that don't want them to come out is just as important. And because he's young and enthusiastic, he's building a, a new audience that might otherwise have always just felt, oh, we'll just play in the, the woke Democrat camp because that's what my friends do. And it feels like there's a lot of that in politics now that it's about social acceptability. Uh, and that's why we've seen the way that it's been played over the last few years through this weakening of the uh, of the education system and uh, and, and various other uh, systems to make us more compliant. So yeah, the Ramaswamy thing is a is a wonderful uh, injection into this uh, election cycle. 
He's a juggernaut. I think we're like witnessing the end of wokeism. I think people are, are burnt out by wokeism. I think they see through it. I think they know it's manipulation. I think they know it's not righteous and it's hanging on by a thread. And Vivek is there to sort of like hammer the final nails in the coffin of it. I think he's a, I don't think we've ever really seen anyone quite like him. I'm I'm a fan, except for the fact that he won't simply say cease fire now. I wonder what your take is on that, that no presidential candidate apart from Cornell West will simply say cease fire regarding Israel-Palestine. What's your take on that? It's uh, a really interesting, it's the hottest subject in the world because uh, many people watching will think that somehow Israel operates with its own set of rules and the way that we're observing it, it seems that they do. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the argument is that Israel has a right to defend itself. And when you when you follow along that politicians would follow along that line, you realise that they're they're playing this politics on a knife's edge, playing not so much both sides of the fence. A lot of people, politicians will play both sides. I mean, Hillary Clinton was the master at it. She would have an answer for the public and an answer for private. Uh, and that was an admission that that, that behaviour does go on. But the Israel story is something else. I, I tend to think that the um, that, that crazy story about um, this week in Brooklyn with the tunnels under the synagogue, that was an interesting story, especially when, when Israel's going into Palestine trying to blow up tunnels but then there's a, a a tunnel system under under a synagogue in brooklyn that's disturbing alex jones came out throwing punches at that one after staying silent for a couple of days so we'll see what comes out of that uh netanyahu's behavior though his admission that um that uh, there was some funding and support of hamas uh, back to some of his knesset members that was a video that was made uh, i think 2017 that's disturbing so you're wondering what what that's all about um and whether or not uh, a ceasefire is going to be acknowledged the united nations of course is where these resolutions get passed interestingly last week i had a um a professor an australian professor ramesh thakur he was on the show he used to be a, a an assistant general secretary in the kofi annan days at the un and he made some interesting points uh, there he said that the united nations is uh, an intersection where reality meets idealism he became um, uh, disappointed with the UN after Kofi Annan left uh, and it wasn't the same. And now he's quite critical of them the same way. But interestingly, uh, with the UN pushing for a ceasefire, he was still uh, in the corner of uh, saying that Israel's right to defend itself and also went to the long uh, argument of um, the uh, the long existence of the Jewish people in the area over thousands of years is another argument. Whether or not that even plays into the idea that innocent people are getting slaughtered is an argument that will be debated uh, for a very long period of time. But it is fascinating, like we're seeing that uh, none of these politicians, uh, as you said, apart from Cornell West, who you would expect to say that are calling for the ceasefire one way or another to be able to end it all. And you do wonder, of course, if this will drag out to the end of the year to the US election and if it will be um, uh, Trump as a peacemaker, although many people want to um, put Trump into a, a Zionist corner and say that his um, cabinet was filled with Jewish people. Uh, his son-in-law, obviously, um, 
uh, had done deals and wrote the Abraham Accords. And, and, and so there's a big push there to sort of pin that as well uh, on, on Trump to say that he's involved. But yet when they were going back to, um, uh, you know, the famous Q posts, it said specifically that the saving Israel for last and for a very specific reason never mentioned or not mentioned here. So you see, you have to think that there's sting operation on top of sting operation on top of sting operation um, in the way that this has played out. It's just, it, it's painful because it's so slow. We'll just come out and say, the truth and let's deal with it but you can't do that you, every time someone comes out to, to blow the whistle uh they're the ones that are punished so there is such a, a long process in all of it and i don't know what the answer is going to be but we, we we watch and we hope that you know no more lives are taken or destroyed innocent people because that's the part that hurts all of us and hopefully that would be the one thing that would make the people stand up and just say enough no more wars stop it we're going to throw the politicians out who allow this to happen well, if I'm reading the room right, that seems to be the the temperature of it is people want ceasefire by and large. I, I believe. I think it's it's a humanitarian concern at this point when you know how many children have to die before your, your humanitarianism just kicks in and says, "Hey, let's work this out another way." There's got to be another way. Ceasefire now. I think RFK Jr. has kneecapped his campaign because of his statements regarding this issue and i think it's a layup for one of these guys i think if vivek came out strong and saying hey i think there needs to be a ceasefire now uh i think he would skyrocket i really do think that's but for some reason only cornell west does it but let's take a quick break we'll be right back after these words on tnt Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing, rescuing, honoring, protecting, caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes across all missions has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
Well, it's hard not to veer into some dark terrain when uh, when we're talking about the state of the world. But so on the lighter side, um, one of my favorite subjects is the sort of the opening of the creator economy and and being motivated to get your voice out there because we're talking about economic collapse. But at the same time that's happening, there's all these new opportunities to use your imagination and create content and get paid for it. I mean, what's your take on you? You mentioned Alex Jones um, a little bit earlier and, and he's blowing up on X. He's free from Twitter jail, so to speak. And he's kind of a, a new version, a, a sort of much uh, more even tempered Alex Jones. Uh, I'm wondering what you think of all that stuff, the, the creator economy using your voice to make a living and if you're going about that and just what you also think about x as a free speech platform and the resurgence of alex jones i know that's kind of a lot in various topics but they kind of go go together i think well i think they do uh i think that uh, for most people social media has changed uh enormously just over the last few years i mean obviously since the the trump period and then the virus period that was uh, a big deal uh, that um, people realise just how bad censorship was. But at the same time, what it forces you to do is to um, to rethink the way that you deliver a message and also what message that you're delivering. And so content creation evolves. I, I found that since I started creating my own videos, they, they, they change uh, all the time. Reinvention is the key to it. And that's the, the beautiful part about creativity, that there's no real rules or restrictions. You can develop a product that people like uh, and you can think that it's going along for a long time, but because there's just so much uh, content that's available, uh, you, you are forced in a way to uh, to hone your skills and you just get better at it. And uh, and then you realise that there's other things that you're interested in talking about and whether or not you, uh, you veer into other areas, you know, music, uh, movies, uh, food production, uh, anything that, uh, that, that that tickles your fancy that's just interesting. I, I noticed that the stuff that that, that I, I tend to watch or not watch and the things that you can watch on on uh, on YouTube, for example, that you'd never think to watch on um, on television. Just, uh, you know, like a man walking around his car yard um, showing, you know, pictures and talking about 30 muscle cars on his lot is, uh, it's fascinating because you just, you get to be anywhere at any time. So that's, I find all of that stuff uh, in, incredibly entertaining and therefore it also promotes that creative gene that says, hang on a second, why can't I try and do this uh, idea, uh, whatever it is. My kids want me to do a homeschool cooking show for, for children to learn how to cook. And that's something that we're exploring at the moment is how we would do that to create a cooking class that we could put onto video to educate, uh, entertain and encourage other kids to become better at it. Because for mine, it's all about arriving at self-sufficiency. If you can become self-sufficient in one thing, you can become self-sufficient in others. And the more we do that, the less dependent we are on a system. And I think that's where the experience uh, exciting part of what's coming is that um, we, we work out that we don't necessarily need to have um, such a big government or even government at all in many cases. Let's just get on with the business of living and and and, and the wonderful things that, that we we're, want to do in our lifetimes that we feel we get caught up in uh, working and, and paying off uh, bills for our entire lives to arrive at retirement age and say, is this all I've got to live out my days? That's not really an existence. It's just a form of subsistence. Uh, so, yeah, the creative uh, economy is incredibly exciting, the way that that works. And, uh, of course, 
people will criticize Elon Musk and, and he's another character that can be playing both sides of the fence, whether or not uh, he was instructed by Trump four years or six years ago now, um, maybe it was 2017 when they had that public falling out that one day you'll go back and buy Twitter and this is what you'll do. Um, and, and yet what that's done is this, it's, it's finally allowed a social media platform that's got some real reach um, to be able to be free again. And um, despite the the, uh, the protests from those that felt they would miss out, uh, it's 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 a big platform that uh, allows you to have uh, access to unlimited information, uh, and it makes Facebook look um, second rate by a long way now. Absolutely, it's way more interesting now on Twitter, and I think it's going to take over. And I think the other social medias are going to have to follow suit if they're going to compete. I mean, people want the full story; they want to be able to express themselves um but it's interesting when you're talking about doing like a cooking show with your kids for instance and but you know the creator economy and exercising the creative muscle that we all have it's such a multifaceted beast you know because there's basically creating content doing stuff it takes enormous energy but also getting out of your own way overcoming self-esteem hurdles it's this whole personal development this is just my relationship with it and i'm assuming uh, other people are similar you almost have to develop yourself as a person it's like in order to compete in the new world there's this impetus for your soul to grow and your self-esteem to work itself out and this self-motivation thing to occur I mean, do you spend time working towards that in any way, shape, or form? You um, you have to work on yourself one way or another. You can never sit still. Um, often I'll um I'll prepare a video or, or do something and watch it back and uh, and and be my biggest critic, and just um you know think about even simple things like it's it's hard to believe that um you can do something for a period of time and still think that you can um that you you've got faults one way or another. Even just delivering a message, the pace at which you deliver a message, um the way that you um you know prepare phrasing like you might do making music, and that's something uh, that we haven't even talked about is in that realm because. Uh, it's something I can't sing. I can't play a musical instrument despite trying to do so. Uh, so for mine to admire how uh, musicians work is something that uh, it, it blows my mind. It's an area of creativity that I feel like I've just got a block or that um, perhaps I'm better off at finding other avenues. But um, that to me, watching a musician develop um, over a period of perhaps a song into an album, into a career, like, you know, people talk about a, a, a band that breaks out and uh, has a fantastic debut album. Uh, and then um, they come back for a second album a matter of a year or two later and it, it doesn't stack up. And that's explained as the fact that the debut album has a lifetime's worth of work to pick from and the subsequent follow-up album uh, is limited again. So creative, I think it was Michael Caine, the, uh, the, the actor that said that um, he treated his acting as a craft. He said, some work I do is good, some work I do is bad, some work I do is to pay my taxes, but I'm a craftsman and uh, I, I just do it and, uh, and, and then I just get better as I go. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? That just because you're creative doesn't mean you make one thing, uh, earn a, a billion dollars and retire and, and, and you're some sort of superhero. It's not that at all. It's this, this other way of, or, or perhaps the best way to, to explain it is find your obsession, make it your profession and you'll never work a day in your life. And I like to think that that's the way that I try and uh, operate my life, that um, you do what you want to do and that leads into the, 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 the 
the creativity comes almost naturally at that point. That's what I love about it is that um, you, you are not forcing yourself, but you are walking into a world where you just spend more time doing the things that you want. I can't imagine um, uh, rewinding the clock perhaps a decade and being stuck in a job that I didn't like, um, that um, I was you know, traveling hours a day in both directions to and from work, uh, working for bosses that um, that uh, weren't, weren't necessarily interested in, in my best interests, uh, who perhaps may have been dishonest in, in areas where I've worked in sales. And, and those types of things really get you down and wear you out and you become part of a system that you don't want to be a part of. Uh, and then you felt, then you meet people in those workplaces that are, that, are, that are lifers. They've done that their whole life and that's all they've ever done. I think I was one of the lucky ones that my father encouraged me many years ago when I was um, in the TV industry and, and probably hit a bit of a brick wall as a bit young. And he said, why don't you get out and do some sales for a while, make some money and travel around the world and you can do it anywhere. And that's what I did. I, I got into the sales business, but I made it my mission to, to work in as enough different industries that the skills were transferable. So I could work in, um, in furniture and floor coverings and move into uh, real estate and property investment and, uh, and, and, and finance and uh, motor vehicles just for the fun of it. And I thought that was a wonderful way of, uh, again, getting out there and, and, and honing the skills. And I think that that's part of it, um, that people who work in, in customer service are naturally good at dealing with people and, uh, and sort of cut from the same uh, cloth to be able to become creatives and get in front of the camera and hone those skills. So I, I think that's a really nice, encouraging way for people that may be stuck in a rut and realise, yeah, I do have some skills that I can work on and go into an area that I can do something else that I, that I, that I want to do, that I love, that I can try. And it doesn't mean you have to be stuck in that either. You might do it for six months, a year, two years, and think that it's not for you, or you might stick with it for five years. And finally, after six years, you've nailed it and you've written your first book, or maybe you've recorded your first song, but it doesn't have to be something that you do overnight and it changes your life, but it's something that you do because you want to do it and you love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a, a big key too is to get rid of all sources of cheap dopamine. So if you're scrolling or you got addictions, whatever the various addictions are, we all know what they are. You know what they are. If you don't allow yourself to have that, then you end up only being able to get dopamine from prod productive work, productivity. And that's a good hack, I found. I, I mean, I, I sort of paint myself into a corner where I have to do something in order to get that dopamine hit because one thing we need is dopamine. So if you let yourself have that in cheap ways, then your motivation gets thwarted. You know what I mean? That is a really interesting point because the other side of that, Joseph, is that you said something that affects me similarly to you is that the fact that even if you are creative, even if you're doing your life's best work, et cetera, we still get caught into, into little ruts that prevent us from um, being in flow as it's described. Uh, and that's what we all hope to do, uh, whether you're in sport or music or whatever, or just doing your job, that you can do it uh, almost in command um, and that flow moment that we want to get to forever. But it's not like that. Um, um, even at a creative stage, you can still look at a blank piece of paper. You can still look at an empty screen uh, and wonder what it is to do. And you're right. You do look for ways to lift yourself up. And those dopamine rushes are one way that act uh, like, like comfort food for us, that uh, something that we always seem to want. And, and I, I love the fact that we can recognize that um, it is difficult, uh, but at the same time, know that there's a solution. And it was going back to Kathy O'Brien in her interview. She said that her husband, Mark, who read 
rescued her said that don't focus on the negative without a solution and that changed her life and that lady despite what she'd been through in her lifetime was the happiest woman I, I think I've ever met in my life she was just full of positivity knowing that there was a reason why she went through the hell that she did because it is for the greater uh, outcome at the end and that goes back to perhaps what Gareth was saying in your earlier hour that uh, we were all born for this moment we, we chose to be here and even if you don't believe it the fact is you are here and why not believe it that's what I find motivating as well um, that's something that can move you to do your best work or whatever it is regardless of what that reasoning is has got to be a great outcome and why not embrace it absolutely man the other one is forgiveness letting go of any lingering resentment so if you like eliminate addictions and you forgive everyone in your life so that you can actually be free then you can utilize your imagination towards building the life of your dreams so to speak um and then when the alien invasion comes you'll be ready you'll have your little camera you put your back your laptop in a backpack and you'll be able to go make content hiding from the aliens when they invade jason thank you for coming on the show uh, it's been awesome talking to you, man. I hope you come back and I look forward to coming on your show in three weeks time, if that's possible. Beautiful. Sounds fantastic. And I'm all in. Thanks, Joseph. All right, brother. Keep rocking on TNT and we'll be back right after these words. Stay tuned.